You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. About 80 of our men are at the annual men's retreat, um, which I I know wives are applauding. uh, uh, (laughs) I think it's going great. I haven't gotten any word of broken legs or pulled hamstrings, so it's a success. But uh, appreciate all of you joining us today. A week, two weeks from yesterday, we have um, our annual Love Our Neighbor. and uh, Jesus said, uh, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so this is just an opportunity to do good in the community, especially if you're not in the habit of doing that. that this will give you some, some opportunities to get in the swing of it. And uh, this is not a, a kind of a one once a, once a year, we let our light shine before men, and then well, we got that done. We check that out, but it's it's more of an opportunity to get involved in these things. So if you're not signed up, I encourage. Though um, Chelsea will be out in at the table out here, or you can do it on online. Today, I want to talk to you about a temptation we all share, and and that's to judge each other. To err is human, and to judge people who err is also human. (laughs) It's just human nature to judge people, isn't it? Unbelievers judge, believers judge, we all judge. Uh, And if you doubt that, go to your favorite social media site and just count how many posts are criticizing somebody or complaining about somebody. We even judge people for doing the things we do. Well, this morning I talked a little bit about how remembering God uh, will, will change that. We're in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy occurs 40 years after Moses gave God's law to Israel. For the past 40 years, the generation that God delivered from Egypt has been wandering around the desert until they all died except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And now Israel's on the banks of the Jordan. This new generation of Israelites, the children of the generation who died, is now getting ready to go across and take possession of the promised land. And this is really a sermon, which is amazing to me. You you complain about how long our sermons are. When Moses preached, he would preach for days. And uh, they listened. But this is a sermon. The theme of the sermon is remember God. Remember God. Why? Uh, do I have up here? Next, yeah, the fear, the Proverbs 15.33 says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Wisdom is really understanding who God is and living in light of that. And, and that's what Moses does. He says, here is the God whom you serve. Here is the God who has delivered you. Your job is not just to keep all these unrelated commandments, but all these commandments make all the sense in the world if you understand who God is. So we've been going through and just looking at what is God like that Moses calls us to remember. 
And today we're going to talk about, in chapter 9, remembering God when you're tempted to judge, which will mean three things. If you remember God when you're tempted to judge, you'll remember that our battle is with sin, not with people. You'll remember that God is good to everybody, both to the good and to the evil. And you'll remember that God is the judge, not us. So if you struggle with judging, if, if you just have a hard time turning off that little judge that sits in your mind and is always evaluating people, always evaluating things, I think this might help. Let's pray and ask God, uh, just say to him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then I'll close. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Holy Spirit that we might know the things you freely give us. We pray you'll be our teacher today, that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and obey, and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How will remembering God help me not to judge people? Well, the first way that we find in chapter 9, it reminds me that our enemy is not people. Our enemy is, is sin. In chapter 9, Moses warns the Israelites of the real danger they're going to face as they go into the promised land. Let's start reading at verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakin, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Anak was a giant, and all of his descendants were giants, and you probably know about the most famous descendants, whose name was Goliath. Very good. And so as the people get ready to go, they are, they're, how can we fight these guys? They're huge. We're doomed. That was the great fear. Deuteronomy 9.3, Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them, and he will subdue them, subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly, just as the Lord has spoken to you. Don't worry about the giants or any other tribes there. You're not going by yourself. God is going. He's going to fight the battles for you. All you have to do is go and watch him do it. The tribes that you're going to confront there are not your greatest danger. Your greatest danger is in your own heart. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord brought me to possess this land but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing this before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the, your uprightness of heart that you're going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not giving you the promised land because you're so good. God is giving you the promised land because the people who live there now are so wicked. 
And this is why God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 400 years ago that he would give you this land. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you have been rebellious to, against the Lord. And the rest of this chapter is all the things they've done wrong since they left Egypt. How do we fight on God's side without becoming self-righteous? How do we fight evil without becoming evil ourselves? Only by remembering that our battle is with sin, not with people. The Amorites weren't judged because they were Amorites. The Amorites were judged because they refused to repent. And this comes out when God makes this promise to, to, to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13. Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there, referring to Egypt. So God tells Abraham 400 years before this that for 400 years your children will be enslaved in another country. And then in verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Why didn't God give Abraham the land when he promised him? Why does he say there's going to be a 400-year wait? Because the, the residents of the land, the Amorites, haven't yet filled up the measure of their sins. Archaeologists tell us, that uh, the culture of the Amorites was one of the most depraved, debased cultures in all the history of the world. They, they practiced child sacrifice. They indulged in every kind of sexual perversion. They enslaved and oppressed all the nations around them. And God hasn't been blind to that. God has been watching that. But God says their time is not yet complete. I'm going to give them more time to repent. I'm going to give them more time to turn from their sin. And he gives them 400 years, hoping that like the Assyrians who repented uh, at the preaching of Jonah, they will repent as well. The Amorites' sin didn't escape God's notice. He was keeping track during Abraham's time, and he says they haven't yet filled up the measure of their guilt. God is a patient God. But after 400 years, they still haven't repented. The Amorites wasted their opportunity to repent. And now God is bringing Joshua and the children of Israel to punish them for their sins as well as to fulfill his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet even in this time, any of the Amorites who repented were saved. Like Rahab and her family and Jericho are the tribe of the Gibeonites who made peace with Israel. And they were, they were welcomed in, in, into God's peace. So they still had a chance to repent. You are no different than the Amorites. So don't think that it's because of your goodness that God is giving you this land. He's giving this land because they're so evil. It's just human nature for us to judge other people, isn't it? 
and to think somehow we're better than them. Uh, I like the story in Luke 13, 1 through 5. Uh, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus is talking about a local news item. Uh, apparently, uh, some Galileans had gotten into a scuffle with Roman troops around the temple and, and gotten killed, and everybody's talking about that now. Um, when bad things happen to people, most of us look for reasons they happened. And we usually come up with, well, they deserve for that to happen, right? That they did something wrong, or they're, they're worse people, or God is punishing them. And, and Jesus says, that's wrong. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you likewise will perish. Jesus says to the Galileans, listening to him, those Galileans were no different than you. And unless you repent, the same thing that happened to them is going to happen to you one way or another. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the, the Tower of Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Again, this more local news. Uh, Siloam is an area of, of Jerusalem. There was a tower there, and because of lax building standards, it had collapsed and killed 18 people. Do you think those 18 were worse than you? He says, no, but unless you repent, you'll, always like, you'll likewise perish. When we remember God, it should focus us on more on what in, we have in common with people than what divides us. That's why Jesus says, after saying in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge, so you won't be judged. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Our goal is not to condemn our brother. Our goal is to help them, if you love them. And I won't be able to remove anybody's speck until I take the log out of my own eye. So he says, instead of judging people and, and think about how you're different than them, focus on yourself. You can't help somebody else defeat sin until you've defeated it yourself. Isn't that true? So the way I apply this is, is I am an inveterate judger, just like you guys. And uh, I, throughout the day, I'm, I'm judging. I've begun to ask myself, am I guilty of doing the same thing myself? How am I guilty of doing this for which I'm getting angry at this person for doing? I think uh, when I hear people arguing politics, and, and I'm just thinking, you idiot. You, you, treat, you treat people who don't agree with you like they don't have a brain. You, you act like you're the good person and they're the evil person, and that's just not true. And then I think about myself. Isn't that the way you think about people who don't agree with you politically? And I go, oh, that's right. And I find that when I work through that, then I'm able to talk to that person and say, yeah, but, you know, they have some points too, and, and, and it doesn't do any good to get bitter at it. And most people will say, yeah, you're right. You're right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And when I remember God, it kind of puts me on the same level with everybody. And I realize that our real battle is not with each other. Our battles with the sin that lives in us and the pride that it produces. That's number one. Second way that remembering God will change your judgment is remembering that God is good to all, both to the evil and the good. I liked all the songs we, we sang this morning about God's goodness. Look at Matthew 5, 43-48. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the Old Testament never says, hate your enemy. It says, love your neighbor. It doesn't say hate. And that's why Jesus says, you have, he doesn't say, you have read. He says, you have heard. Because this is the oral tradition of the rabbis. And the rabbis had all these commentaries about the law that made it easier to keep the law. And so they said, well, there's two groups of people. There's neighbors and there's non-neighbors or enemies. And so all you have to do is love your neighbors, as defined by you, and you can hate your enemies. That's okay. That's, that's why, remember the lawyer who comes to Jesus and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, says uh, keep the law. And, uh, and, and he, and, uh, he has, how does it read to you? And the man quotes, you shall love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, that's right, go do it. And the man says, aha, but who is my neighbor? Who qualifies to be my Who do I have to love in order to obey God's law? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan about what it means to be a neighbor. So Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, why? So you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, it's just human nature to treat people the way they treat us. Isn't that true? If people are friendly to me, I'll be friendly to them. If people ignore me, I'll ignore them. But Jesus says, if you're my disciple, other people are not your model. Your model is your heavenly Father. You're to love the way he loves, and he loves everybody. Equally, he loves the righteous, he loves the unrighteous. He causes his reign to fall on the evil and on the good. God is kind to all. He's good to all. That's why Jesus said, no one is good but God. The God of the Bible couldn't be any better than he is. Every good thing, every perfect gift comes from him. He's kind to all creation. He gives us good things to enjoy. He's constantly working to bring those who are separated from him into his presence and to enjoy him for all eternity. That's the story of the Bible, isn't it? And so if I remember God, I'm going to remember what he's like. And Jesus says, you're to love people the way God loves, not the way people love, because your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's why I need the gospel, because I can't love that way. I don't have the power to love that way. I'm selfish. 
But that's the gospel. The gospel is we aren't saved by anything we do. But we're saved by what he does. Jesus becomes a human being to be our champion and representative. He lives the life we fail to live, living in complete obedience and faith to his Father so that God can credit to us as a gift his perfect righteousness when we put our trust in him. He dies the death we deserve to die, bearing the punishment on the cross for our sins so that God can forgive us when we put our trust in him. And he rises from the dead not only so that we can live forever, but so that he can come and live in us and make us new people and give us the power day by day to live the way he lived, which means loving the way he loved, loving the way his father loves, being perfect as he is perfect. And so if Christ is in your life, you have the power today to love like he says. And here's what I found about this. I find I am not happy when people treat me well because I'm so proud I think I deserve it. Well, of course they treat me well. I'm not happy when I get my way, but I am happy when I love the way God loves, when I, when I reach out to people that aren't reaching out to me, when I'm, when I'm loving people that don't love me, that's when I feel the joy of the Lord. Because Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Because that is a fundamental law of life. You'll be happier if you give the way God gives than if you take the way sin takes. Does that make sense? So if I remember God, I'm going to remember that, that sin is the real enemy, not people. And that I have a lot more in common with everybody else than what divides us. And I'm going to remember that God is good. God is perfect love. And God is loving everybody. And he has made me to be like him. And that brings us to the last one, what remembering God means. It means that I remember that God is the judge, not me. Fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. We are created in the image of God. And for that reason, every human being has a sense of justice, of fairness, of what is right. And that sense of justice that we have makes forgiving other people difficult, doesn't it? Because we say, well, they shouldn't be able to get away with this. They should have to pay a penalty for hurting me or hurting somebody else. If I, if I let them get away with it, there's no justice. And so how do I resolve God's command to love the way he loves and yet this innate sense of justice that's in me that wants people to get what they deserve? Do you ever feel that? Paul tells us in Romans 12, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember who God is. God is the judge of all. God is not mocked. 
We're not responsible to execute justice. We're not responsible to take our own revenge because vengeance and retribution belong exclusively to God, and that frees me up to love people the way God loves. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. I can love the way God loves because I leave justice in his hands. I don't have to worry, is that person going to get his, he's going to get it. And so am I. God is not mocked. And he will judge every person and bring every act to justice. Either justice on the cross or justice at the final judgment. But I don't have to worry about fairness because God's going to take care of that fairness. I can instead love my enemy, and perhaps that will bring him to repentance. I think that's what pouring coals on his head means, is that he is so ashamed as he compares how he treats me with the way I treat him that this brings him to see his sin and turns from God. So remembering that God is the judge, not you, we're not equipped to fight evil. We're not equipped to judge uh, because our sense of justice is perverted by sin. And we'll just become evil. That's why Paul concludes this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember the Amorites. God judged them faithfully. God will judge all those who need to be judged faithfully. He doesn't need our help. He knows. One day, Peter came to Jesus. And you might remember the story. He, says, he said, Master... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And Peter thought he was really, you know, kind of pushing the limit here. I, I will, I'll push it. And Jesus says, I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven. Now, Jesus is not saying you keep a record. And after somebody has sinned against you 490 times, all bets are off, you're free to... No, he's saying you forgive somebody as often as they sin against you. And then he tells a story to illustrate it. You might remember the story. He said, a king was settling accounts with all of his servants, collecting all that was owed him. And one of his servants owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it took the average worker um, 15 months to earn one talent. So 10,000 talents times 15 months would be an unpayable debt, right? So it's, just, it's a huge, incalculable debt. Jesus is, is exaggerating here to make a point. And when, the, and, and when the king finds out about this, he orders the servant and his family to be sold into slavery so he can get a little money back. And the servant goes to the king and he weeps and he says, please be patient with me, I will repay. He still doesn't get it, but I will, as if he could repay. The king feels compassion and he forgives the servant. But the servant turns around, he goes, finds a fellow servant who owes him 18 denarii, 100 denarii, I think it was. Anyway, it was about two weeks wages. 
And he says the same thing the king said to him, pay me or I'm going to throw you and your family into prison. And this servant says the same thing he said to the king. He says, please be patient with me. I will repay. And he says, no way. And he has him thrown into prison. So the other servants are sad because of this. So they go tell the king. And the king take, brings the first servant before him. And he says, I forgave you because you asked me, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant the way I had mercy on you? And so he orders him to be thrown into prison until he will pay all you. And then Jesus concludes that by saying, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Forgiveness is not between me and you. Forgiveness is between me and God. I don't forgive because you admit you did wrong or because you apologize or because you promise you'll never do it again. I forgive because God commands me to forgive. And he says, if you don't forgive, I will discipline you. And if you've held bitterness against anybody, you know how miserable it is to be in that prison, isn't it? I mean, refusing to forgive people is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill the person you're mad at. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You're miserable. They don't even know. Jesus says, forgive everybody and you'll be forgiven. Many Christians, I believe, have stopped growing spiritually because they refuse to forgive. Because they refuse to obey God in this. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And the more we remember who God is, the more living the way God calls us to live just makes sense. That's why you become a Christian. People who become a Christian do so because they believe that God is just. And that they won't get special treatment from God. That he treats everybody the same. And if they don't repeat, repent, they will be punished for their sins. But they also know that God is love. And that he has provided for their forgiveness. He has sent Jesus to die on the cross so that, that anyone who comes to Jesus and repents will be forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future. And so they become a Christian because of that sense of justice. Have you repented? Do you know for sure that God has forgiven your sins? Are you forgiving? Is there anybody in your life you need to forgive? You can do that this morning. You don't even have to tell them. You can just tell God, Lord, I, you command me to forgive this person, and I forgive them because you command me to do it. Not because they're sorry, not because they've apologized, not before, because they even know what they did was wrong, but because I want to be right with you, and I forgive them now. Those are the two questions I want you to think about this morning. Am I forgiven? That's the most important one. But if you are forgiven, have you forgiven others the way you've been forgiven? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your 
incalculable goodness to us. Thank you that you are perfectly just and you're perfectly loving, and only you can make those things work together. And I pray that we'll walk that same way as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.